This morning we will be studying God's Word through Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And so if you will recall from last week, wherever you see Scripture in bold type, I have included those Scriptures on the third and fourth pages simply to make it easy to read God's Word without having to wait for everybody to thumb through their Bible. So let's just open in prayer and we will get started. Dear Father, we thank you so much for providing us with this opportunity to be together as brothers and sisters in Christ for the purpose of searching your word for truth, your truth, not our truth, not my truth, but the truth that you have provided for us in your Bible. We know that as we learn and grow in the truth of your word, our lives will be changed. And this morning, we will be looking particularly at this matter of our lives being changed by your word, by observing what your servant Peter has said in these verses in regard to four distinguishing marks of a true Christian. So we pray, Father, that we will be attentive, that we will be given the gift of understanding your word, and that it would change our lives, that we would grow more in the image of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. For it is Christ that has provided the propitiation that allows us to come before you. And we thank you, Father, for the gift of Jesus, who is our Savior and also the Lord of our lives. Amen. All right. Um, Those of you that were here last Sunday, you will recall that we considered the question, what is the chief purpose of man? And the answer, we concluded, is that the chief purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And as we evaluated this, we discovered that there are two very important aspects related to glorifying God. Does anyone remember those two aspects of glorifying God? The first is that the essential essence of God is infinite perfection and glory in all of his attributes and character. He is glorious. He is perfectly glorious. We can't even imagine fully who God is. And yet, we recognize more and more each day how perfect and how glorious he is. Therefore, God deserves all glory, and we are to glorify him. The second aspect of glorifying God is where we engage in a personal relationship with God. And I've underscored that, a personal relationship with God. He is entirely deserving to be glorified by his creation. That is you and me. And accordingly, our purpose and truly a privilege is to glorify God in all that we think, speak, and do each and every day. 
We also concluded last week that there is a second purpose of man, and that is that God intends for us to enjoy him forever, starting each day as we arise. And this morning we seem to arise a bit earlier because of the change in the clock. So we are to enjoy him forever. And here again, we should see that God desires a personal relationship with us. We saw that we have a personal relationship with God. And is it amazing that God desires to have a personal relationship with us as well? And in this relationship, he intends that we enjoy him. He has provided everything for us, for our life for our godliness, for everything that we do to strengthen us in drawing closer to him and enjoying him. Well, let's take the next logical step in understanding this personal relationship between God and us. But let's look at this from God's perspective. Consider God's words in the verses that we will be reading here. So turn over and let's read together Jeremiah Chapter 29, verses 11 to 13. And I often encourage people to memorize Scripture, and I know that many of you do, hopefully most, if not all. But this is a beautiful verse for us to memorize, to keep close in our hearts. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, Plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Now let's hear Jesus' own words in several scriptures. John 14:27. Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John 16:33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And John 14:6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm sure we've all read those verses at some time. And we need to consider them very deeply. These are words from God the Father, God the Son. And we have the Spirit of Christ dwelling within us to help us understand and apply these to our lives, that we should live in this personal relationship with God. Well, absorbing these words and concentrating on how personal this is to us in our relationship with God, I have a question for you. As Christians, that is, as people born again through the sacrificial gift of Jesus Christ alone, are we different from the world? What distinguishes us? What distinguishes a true Christian? Now, I was just talking a little bit earlier this morning with these lovely ladies about different churches, and 
what our objective is in coming to church, and it is to primarily to worship together, but to worship together in accordance with God's word. And so one of the difficulties we have when we move from town to town, as we do so at times, where can I find a church that teaches God's word with God's message, not with the pastor's message, not with the Sunday school teacher's message, but truly understanding God's message. And speaking with these ladies, it's clear that they too struggle with this. And we praise God that they're with us this morning and hopefully opening God's word will be a blessing to them and to all of us. So to answer this question about what distinguishes a true Christian, we must evaluate our own personal walk. So this morning, consider for yourself what the message of God is in these scriptures and how it applies to your life. Well, let's read together from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, which is the foundation of our lesson this morning. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. You note the phrases that I underlined there. And this begins the study of the application of these verses to our lives. So the first distinguishing mark of a true Christian is that a true Christian arms himself with the mind of Christ. I'll read again verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. The first word in verse 1, therefore, draws us back to the immediately preceding verses in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 21 through 22, which I'll briefly read here. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. In accordance with these preceding verses, we understand that Jesus is the complete and only answer before God that removes the just punishment we deserve for our sin. He is our sin propitiation before God. Now, continuing from the word, therefore, in chapter 4, verse 1a, Peter instructs, 
Since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. What mind is that? Arm yourselves with the mind of Christ. We know in Romans 8.29, we are instructed to be conformed to the image of Christ. And it is the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ to which we are to be conformed. But how can we arm ourselves with the mind of God? Well, let's read Psalm 26, verses 2 through 6. In this psalm, the writer, David, says, Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart, for your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I have not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor will I go in with hypocrites. I have hated the assembly of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocence. So I will go about your altar, O Lord. In this psalm, King David asks God to examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. As David continues in this psalm, it is apparent that his desire is to shun evil and to do what it was pleasing to God. It is also apparent that David set himself about pleasing God, how? In accordance with God's holy standard of righteousness, not the world's standard, which David refers to at the end of verse 3 as your truth. That is God's truth, which is the truth of the mind of God revealed to us in his word, the Bible. This is our standard that we are to learn, to absorb, and that we are to follow, that we are to obey, that we are to submit to, and to live our lives in a way that is pleasing to God, again, in accordance with his word. So it was David's intention, and it must be our intention as well, to arm ourselves with the same mind of Christ. Verse 1b then claims that true Christians have ceased from sin. I'd like to have a show of hands of all of those here in the room that have ceased from sin. No, I didn't see any hands there. We know that we all struggle. Have any of us actually ceased from sin? Well, no. But it's interesting that in the Bible, God says that we have ceased from sin. So how can we understand that? How can we interpret that, knowing that none of us has actually ceased from sin? Well, first, as we read in the original Greek, the perfect tense of the Greek verb to cease, in this case, ceasing from sin, carries with it the sense of a permanent condition. Second, and in a similar sense, as we read through Romans 8.30, let's do that briefly, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Right? Has anybody here been glorified yet? If you are, then perhaps we need to call an undertaker. Mike? Absolutely. It is an assured thing that God has assured this. 
So Romans 8.30 indicates that we are already glorified, and yet we know that we will not actually be glorified until what, Mike? Until we are in heaven with Christ. So in the same manner that Romans 8.30 speaks with absolute assurance, as if our glorification has already been accomplished, just so, Peter's verse 1b looks upon our ceasing from sin as being already accomplished. Now, I'll stop in my notes here and ask, is this happening in your life? Is, our, is, is your walk being drawn more and more? Are you being driven more and more to ceasing from sin? And that's a question that we all have to ask ourselves wisely if we asked ourselves that each day it would help us to draw more and more to growing in the image of Christ that is putting off sin so God looks upon us as if this putting off of sin has already been accomplished however this is not because of any perfection on our part right but because God looks upon us as being sinless why because of the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. This is affirmed in Christ's own words from the cross. What did he say? It is finished. He has paid the price. It is because of what Christ did that we are justified before God and that he looks upon us as if we are already glorified, that this glorification has already been accomplished, even though it has not. And similarly, he looks upon us as if our sin has already ceased, as if it has been accomplished, knowing, as God does, that it has been accomplished on our behalf because of Christ. So the first distinguishing mark of a true Christian is that he arms himself with the mind of Christ. Does that drive us to putting off sin? Does that drive us to serving God? Does that drive us to becoming conformed to the image of Jesus Christ every day, not every Sunday, every day. Well, the second distinguishing mark of a true Christian is that a true Christian lives for the will of God. I will reread verse 2 of 1 Peter chapter 4. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. The logical continuation of verse 1 reveals that being armed with the mind of Christ, a true Christian no longer lives in the lusts of the flesh. No, a true Christian has been set free from the domination of fleshly lusts, and grows progressively into the image of Christ, living for the will of God. So now that we know that a true Christian lives for the will of God, the next question is, are we true Christians? Do I live for the will of God? Is that an important question for me to ask myself? Do I struggle at times? Am I living for the will of God. Is that easy? No. Is it impossible? No. Can I grow in living for the will of God? Yes. 
I can. Let's look again at God's identifying marks in these three verses, Ephesians and 1 Peter. So I will read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. This is God's will. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. I'm sure many of you have memorized this verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to God and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. This has been the work of Christ according to God's plan for our lives. I'm going to reread the underscored words in these verses. We should be holy and without blame before him in love as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience. And I added the words obedience to God. But why does a true Christian live in obedience to God? Well, let's look again at what God's Word tells us. Let's turn to Romans chapter 6 and read. Romans chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. And 1 Corinthians 6.20, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Our body and our spirit are God's. He is our creator. Every aspect of us, having been saved by the grace of God, we belong to him. A true Christian has been crucified with Christ and no longer lives for his own will, but for the will of God. Having been bought at a price, a true Christian is no longer his own, and he should no longer be a slave to sin. The redemptive price, the sacrificial death of the perfect son has been fully paid. So the first and second distinguishing marks of a true Christian are that 
a true Christian arms himself with the mind of Christ and that he lives for the will of God. In arming ourselves with the mind of Christ, we have the truth of how we can live for the will of God. The third distinguishing mark of a true Christian is that a true Christian no longer runs in the dissipation of sin. Let me read verses 3 through 5. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So a true Christian no longer runs in the dissipation of sin. I will share with you those of you that aren't aware, I came to faith in Christ when I was 54. And I can assure you that this brief list of the sins of the world were standard operating procedure for me. And for those of us that can remember our days before we were saved, can we look back and see ourselves in these verses? I'll stop for a moment. This isn't on our notes here, but I'm going to turn back to uh, Galatians. And in Galatians chapter 5, if you want to turn there in your book, in your Bible, starting at verse 19, Galatians 5:19, It says, that is, God says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries. And then Paul adds, and the like. I love that. It's as if he said, and if I missed anything that you have done in your life, that is included as well. And then what does uh, the Lord say through Paul beyond that? He says, Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And you could add here, and the like, because this isn't an exhaustive list of the fruits of the Spirit. But it's certainly, if we could grow in the fruits of the Spirit written here, our lives would be greatly transformed. And they are being transformed. So we see that before our 
life change before we were justified through Christ. Our life was an abomination. And only because of the gift of Christ do we have the hope of godly change and our future glorification. So the redemptive price of the sacrificial death of the perfect son has been fully paid. From these sins, a true Christian turns to live according to the will of God and his righteousness. What is the cost of this turning? Here is a test of this answer. For those of us who were saved by the grace and mercy of God as an adult, what has changed? Look back for those years and see what has changed, and is it continuing to change? Has your old man been left behind? Is there a new man that longs more passionately each day to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? It's a great question to ask yourself frequently. And what of those who have not come to saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ? According to Peter, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. But for a true Christian, it is Christ who will give our account to his Father on our behalf. So as we see this, we can understand the third distinguishing mark of a true Christian is that he no longer runs according to his old life in the dissipation of sin, but progressively abides more each day in the image of Christ. And let us refresh this idea with Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So the fourth distinguishing mark of a true Christian is that a true Christian lives according to God in the spirit. And I will reread verse 6 of 1 Peter 4. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Now, that's a bit of a uh, difficult verse to understand. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. So who are these people? Well, reflecting back on verse 5 and the anticipated accounting and final judgment to come, Peter states in verse 6 that those who are dead might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Who are those who are dead and who are the men in the flesh? The former are those believers to whom the gospel of Christ had been preached, who had come to live according to God in the Spirit. That is, they were, are living or lived by faith in Christ. Those are those who had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, so they lived after Christ's earthly ministry, his crucifixion, death, and resurrection, 
who had then died before Peter wrote this letter. Those are the ones that Peter is referring to as living according to God in the Spirit by faith in Christ, who had then died prior to the writing of Peter's letter. And the latter are unbelievers who will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And these are the lost of all ages who did not turn to Christ for redemption. And I'd like to conclude by reading Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So the four distinguishing marks of a true Christian are that a true Christian arms himself with the mind of Christ. And how do we do that, class? How do we arm ourselves with the mind of Christ? Read the Bible. Right. We read the Bible. We study the Bible. We don't just read it, but we study it. We meditate upon it. We go before God in prayer, asking him to reveal his truth in the word, not my interpretation, not our individual interpretation. We want to know God's interpretation. And in our prayer, we ask that we would be conformed more and more to the image of Christ every day. And how about serving God in a way that brings glory to him? Is that a good idea? Are we not all to be serving? After all, if we are being conformed more and more each day to the image of Christ, what is that image of Christ? He is sovereign. What else? Loving. Giving. Giving to the extent of giving his life for us. Serving his father in accordance with his father's desire for him. Right? Yet not my will, but thy will be done. And so a true Christian lives for the will of God. A true Christian no longer runs in the dissipation of sin. A reminder in these verses of 1 Peter chapter 4 that we are to put off sin daily, every day, that we are to grow in the image of Jesus Christ. And the fourth distinguishing mark of a true Christian is that a true Christian lives according to God in the spirit. Do we all understand that indeed it's not just a concept, it is a fact that we have the spirit of Christ dwelling within us. What is the purpose of that? Are we convicted of our sin? Are we strengthened to understand God's word? More so, are we strengthened to live according to God's word? Are our lives changed? If someone looks at us and sees our conduct, do they ask why we are different? And do we have an answer of why we are different? Do we all know the gospel? Every important aspect of the gospel. So I have one question here, and if we have a few minutes, we can talk about it a little bit. We know what the four distinguishing marks of a true Christian are. And this one question for our lesson today, what will we do every day to grow as a true Christian? Well, we have these four distinguishing marks that we could begin to 
meditate upon, consider our own walk, if we are living our lives in a way more and more each day that demonstrate this, what else can we do? Let's see from class. What else could we do? How about sharing the gospel? How about serving those others that we know that are in need? How about praying more? How about simply sitting down alone with God and sharing our lives with him? He knows where we are. Why don't we talk with him about it? See what guidance we might get from him that would continue this process of sanctification. Dennis? How about discipleship? How about fellowship? Yeah. What is discipleship? Can we find a brother or sister in Christ that is not as mature as we are and come alongside them? Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective that Dennis just shared with us. Each of us should be looking for a more mature brother or sister in Christ and be discipled by them and perhaps also on the other side find a younger brother or sister in Christ and disciple them. That's a great idea. Is it amazing to be able to come together in church on a Sunday morning and share together, sing praises to the Lord, pray together, listen to God's word well taught by our pastor and grow? And so this time together of fellowship is a wonderful thing. If you're not in a Sunday school class regularly, get into a Sunday school class. If you're not in a home fellowship group, get into a home fellowship group. If you're not in the Insight for Women Bible study on Thursday mornings, if you can, get into that class or get into the Friday morning men's Bible study. There are many, many different ways that we can fellowship together, and that is a strength to us. It doesn't mean that we want to separate ourselves from the world but we need to be strengthened and we can be strengthened through fellowship, through discipleship, and certainly through Bible studies together, Bible studies on our own, always searching for God's meaning and God's truth, that our lives would be changed, that these distinguishing marks of a Christian would continually grow. Well, Father, we thank you that you have provided this word to us, that it is absolute truth. It is your truth. It is the truth that we need to focus on, that our lives would continue to change in a way that would be pleasing to you, that you would be glorified, and that as we change in our lives on a day-to-day basis, we would enjoy you more and more. Father, it is an amazing thing that you loved us so much that you provided your son to come to be with us on earth that we could see him see his example that we could be convicted of our sin and turn to follow his righteous path and that you then struck your son down on the cross on our behalf that he died and on the third day he rose again fulfilling your word and that he lives, and that we can be resurrected with him one day. 
we thank you for this unfathomable gift, Father. But let us work to fathom it more and more each day. We thank you for your word again and for our salvation in Jesus Christ. Amen.